Hello. Am I on? <gasps> I'm on. So I've been getting this little signal with Pastor Josh. He, he did this. And I'm like, wait, we have earpiece now? <laughs> I didn't know. Anyway, good morning. If you didn't hear me in the video, I said what's up to everybody. So the church, as beautiful as it is, as greatest gift that is it is to the whole entire humanity, apart from Christ, the church stays in its own way and becomes a stumbling block for our own mission. So last Sunday we talked about when is the church at its worst? The church is at its worst when the church is cold and pushy. When the church creates an environment that is so cold, that is uninviting, that is deeply pushing, the church is at its worst. So we talked about that. You can go to our website to review that if you like. But today, the church is at its worst when no one can be vulnerable and ask honest questions. You see, in life, there are large in any culture or context, there's a large rule books. We all know what not to do as a functioning adult. Right? And we teach our children those unwritten rules, right? You're sitting in a lunch and you have family in a table and you're talking to each other. You tell your kids you cannot talk about the gold you found inside your nose, right? You tell them not to go all the way there. When people are eating, it's unwritten rule. It's not in the Constitution. It's not in any legal rule. But we tell each other there are common rules and what not to do when functioning adults are hanging out. One other things that we do. We do not talk about politics. Politics in a family gatherings can create a huge tension. So we tell each other this unwritten rule. If you bring up this, it's going to be a problem. So try to avoid it. In any cultural context, there's unwritten rules functioning adults agreed upon not to do. You do not tell a story that is super disgusting when people are eating lunch. It's not written. It's not in the Constitution. But we all as functioning adults agree not to do. At the same time, there's unwritten rule in the church. Somehow it, it's not from Christ. We somehow developed it. When we come to church, we do not ask questions. When we come to church, we do not show our vulnerability. When we come to church, we pretend to be someone that has all the answers of life. Even in this section right now, it's an unwritten rule. No one going to raise his hands or her hands to ask questions. It's an unwritten rule. Like you just don't do that in church. You just sit there. If you're about to fall asleep, you try your best to wake up. If you have some questions, you don't verbalize it. If you disagree with the preacher, you just kind of like, I'm going to keep it inside of me and I'm going to walk out. And then when we get outside in the life of a church, a life of Christians, when we gather together, we don't verbalize the questions and the doubts and the struggles that we have. Because sharing those things and being honest about those things, we feel like it could cause us to look as a doubter, as a person who does not believe, or as a person who does not have what it takes to be a Christian. But the mission of the local church is that very thing, for people to come and be honest with who they are and where they are in life. The reason why we prefer that other method to be somebody else that we are not is sin. 
And I know, don't roll your eyes on this. We're not trying to point everything to sin, but it is truly sin. So if if you're a Christian, if you're a new person to the faith, sin is a flaw to like a coding or sin is a glitch in the human system that causes all sorts of problem between God and between one another. Sin is a defect, an issue that is embedded within us that cannot allow us to do what's right always. We are born with that brokenness and we will die with that brokenness. And because of sin, in a context like church, we do not want to ask questions, we do not want to be vulnerable, and we do not want to show our weakness. We feel as though we cannot be honest about the very things we struggle with, and we cannot keep up the questions that we have or the doubts that we're dealing with. No one wants to be found out either not knowing enough or not doing the right thing. No one wants to be dumb or deviant. We hide behind pretendants, and we project confidence and capability in front of each other. And to the rest of the world, we say, hey, we don't want to be found out that we're fraud sometimes. My hope of this sermon is that you will walk out fully liberated. Or if you're driving and listening to this sermon from afar, you will come back fully liberated. Such burden is not a burden you should carry. Such burden is not a thing that a Christian should go through. In 1978, a pair of American psychologists did attempt to name this particular issue, this particular struggle in a human being. They called it the imposter syndrome. It's an actual syndrome. It's a feeling of being fraud. And many human beings wrestle with this, especially in the areas of work or career or lifestyle. They feel as though and worried that the world might discover that they're not as capable, as smart, as moral, as good as the world expects them to be or as others thought they are. Maya Angelou, the poet, she wrote 11 books and she won so many awards. She's been nominated. in, in, in like Tony Award, she was nominated for Grammys. I mean, this is America's hero. In one of her interviews, she kind of described this idea where she's like, every time I write one of the books, I fear that, man, as soon as this book is published, people are going to find out that I'm a fraud, that I'm not the one that everybody thought I was. Everybody going to think I am one of those people that the media inflated me to be but I'm not the actual person. Of course, my, she's not. She's not a fraud. She's an incredible person, talented and gifted with so much talent that one cannot match. But however, every single time her book is published, she has this fear inside of her that people are about to find out. Many American presidents actually did verbalize the first day they were in the Oval Office by themselves that they're scared that people are going to find out who they are and who's running this country. And then they're going to be dismayed and regret their votes. Each one of us, we struggle with this idea that if people just find out who we are and what we've done or how we view things or what we are morally, 
that we will be labeled as fraud and fully pushed away. So, to help us understand that this is not something that should happen in the body of Christ, that this is the only institution that God gave to humanity for such things to not exist, and for people to actually walk into the word in the doors of the church, feeling absolutely confident to express their questions and their struggles, and that they can actually push back on the things that we are they're scared of. They can actually verbalize and then they can actually be human. A place where no one will be judged according their level of intellect or knowledge or background. This is the place where one can walk in knowing that you will never be judged or pushed away and you come as you are. If you have your phones with you or the Bibles in your pews, do you want to go to Matthew chapter 11, the very verse we just read today? Forgive me, Matthew number nine, for chapter 19. <laughs> I keep going to 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. And you can follow me on this reading. Listen to this carefully. And this is what we heard earlier. In verse 25, chapter 11, Matthew 11, verse 25 to 30, at the time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. I'm going to stop there. Um, here's how we know Jesus freed humanity when they enter the church, to be vulnerable, to ask questions, to doubt, and to share their struggle. He referred us about this kingdom that he's building through his death and resurrection. He said, this kingdom will be filled with children. In a Greek terminology, he was actually referring to infants or toddlers. This kingdom of God is filled with children, regardless of your age. Jesus refers you and I as toddlers. And kids are, if you, my, 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 by the way, my, my wife's sister is visiting us. And she has a young baby. And it's a beautiful baby. And you're going to see him right outside when, when, when we go out for coffee. He's nine months old. He's cute. He's adorable. But he knows nothing, right? He needs our help in everything we do. The kid got to cry for anything he wants. He's a toddler, as cute and as pretty as Funny as exciting as he is, he knows I'm talking about him, by the way. I love you, child. This child knows nothing, and he is dependent upon his parents and the people around him. He needs everything from those people who are around him. And actually, for a fact, he knows. He knows he's in a need of everyone around him. So he cries out for help. Constantly, in deep inside, he's filled with this random humility, knowing that he's unable to do anything. So Jesus refers us as children, and it was not an accident. This kingdom that God is forming is a bunch of kids. We may look good, we may look pretty, we may look adorable, but deep in the inside, we are broken. We are in a need of help. We have no ability to do anything to save our own selves. And we are doomed to sin. And we are doomed to hell. 
Apart from Christ, we have no hope. Jesus is saying that who you are is this. And I'm not here trying to undermine your education or your background or your success and who you are as a person. But in reality, that's who we are. So he says, all things have been handed to me by my Father, and I'm giving this to you, but you may live this life knowing that, filled with this humility, that you cannot save your own self, and apart from Christ, you have no hope. And this community is filled with people that are incapable of saving themselves, utterly in the need of Christ, holding on and clinging to him. Yesterday, I was, I was hanging out with this kid. There was a part where I feel like I was like, I was a little bit loose holding the kid. The kid was holding my pocket, right? He's like, don't drop me, dude. You know, I can't be dropped, right? He's deeply dependent on adults. That's who we are. We are dependent upon Christ. Our own inflated understanding of who we are, the pride that we develop within us, it is not something that can save us. It's actually false for we are dependent upon Christ. And this is revealed in the liturgy of the Christian church for the last 2,000 years. The liturgy of the church is always structured this way. When you walk in this Sunday morning, the song is sung, and first thing we do, we all kneel and we repent our sins. It's, it's not only for us to receive God's mercy. It's not only for us to identify our weakness. It's not only for, for us to be able to say, I'm a sinner, I'm a beggar, I need your grace, I need to be washed and cleansed. But also, it is our common agreement that we all equal here. The wealthy and the knowledgeable, the pretty and the ones that are with the bald head like me. Everyone is equal in the sight of Christ. The, our confession is not only for us to know and to receive God's grace, but it's also for us to know that we are in equal footing with everyone that is around us. In the body of Christ, we all come, the rich, the poor, the white and the black, the wealthy and the one that is not affluent, the educated and not educated, the one with enormous background for family and the ones that never had any background within their family that they can brag about. Everyone comes... And the liturgical aspect of the church teaches us to remain in a place of confession and to sit in the place of equality, in a place of mercy. In this community of God, there is unparalleled equity of community. This equal equity of community is filled with repentance and mutual Love and respect to one another. Only in the church of Christ that all people can be equal. Communism tried it. It did not work. Political knowledges try to develop it. Countries try to bring, to bring out utopia where everyone is treated equal. Businesses try to put that things in order. Educational system try to put things like that. We went to this... Uh, Good of our friends, they live in Piedmont Hills, very affluent. My wife and I went to watch their son's baseball game. This was seven years ago. Got into the baseball game 10, 15 minutes late, sat down, trying to watch the game. 
But then we're trying to see the kid's name is Jake. So we're like, Jake, you know, hit the ball, hit the ball, right? So I was like, hey, guys, where is the score? They're like, oh, there's no score here. I'm like, wait, how do we know who's winning, who's losing? Oh, that's the point. We don't tell anybody who's winning, who's losing. I'm like, what kind of game is this? I don't even know who to cheer for, right? We try it because we also want to make our children feel like the other one is not a loser and the other one is not a winner. To be frank, it doesn't work. The kids know who is a good baseball player. They know who's going to make it to the major leagues and they know who the kid that don't know what to do with the ball. Anywhere in the world, we can try to equalize people and it's impossible. Only in the church of Christ, according to Matthew 19, verse 25, that Jesus bought us by his blood, he calls us to this community, and in this community he says, you're like children in a deep need of your Savior. And in him, you have the freedom, but in him, you have a place of forgiveness and mercy. But in him, you're equal. In the body of Christ, there is no higher or lower of a person, a person that that is superior. So, in this context that we're in in our church today, the preacher, which is me, standing from here, or any of you sitting in the pew, any of you watching this video, any of you listening to this audio, in the sight of Christ, we are broken in the need of him. For that, there's no Jew or Gentile, there's no wiser or dumber, there's no richer or poorer, we're one. And because of that, the church should be the only place one should be able to express his or her questions and doubts. The church is the only place where we can honestly say what we're struggling with. The church is the only place where we can actually be honest about our own struggles. The church is the place where we can actually talk about the things that we are struggling with. And the very thing that we cannot phantom or understand. And the things that we doubt or reject. So if you ever come to church and you've always felt, I cannot ask questions because people will think I'm not a believer. If you're a person that comes to church, I cannot express my doubts. Today, let this message of Christ liberate you. Your lack of knowledge in the scripture does not disqualify you. Your lack of understanding the church culture does not push you away. Your inability to have to be a good communicator does not push you away. Your inability to be really terrible at praying, it does not push you away. Your ability to be confused about everything that you hear in the scriptures or in the sermon does not disqualify you. But rather you've been called to the work of Christ to be saved but also to be in equal footing with all the Christians in the past, the future, and the current ones. In here there is no hierarchy of anything but rather a place of equality. It is in the church of Christ we can come, honestly confess our sins, verbalize them word for word, and we say, Lord, have mercy on me and have mercy on us. It's in the church of Christ where we can bring all our burden and place it in his foot, knowing that it does not push us away from who we are and what he has done for us. So if this is true, if this, if this is true, if this message of Christ is the truth, if this is how we um, ought to be organizing ourselves and caring for, us, uh, for each other, 
Well, then we are called. We are called to this reality in how we should create this environment around us. Um, one is this. One is, first and foremost, every Christian, in order for this environment to be created and for this environment to be vibrant and truth for people to walk in and be honest with themselves and with each other. First, individual of us, starting from me and all of us, we must always confess and confess diligently, not be filled with pride of our sin, not be filled with pride of ourselves, but we come into his presence saying, Lord, by what you've done in the cross through the work of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. This is who I am and this is my misery. We place it out. When we do it, when Pastor Josh was leading us today, however you were sitting, whether you were kneeling or standing, every single time you get together, remember, that's the place where God calls you to be who you are and to bring yourself, only yourself, without any resume. And then in that, God will meet you through the work of Christ, redeem you and cleanse you and empower you. But then what follows to that, number two, is let us come together knowing this truth and come knowing that this is a place for you and others also. As we grow in our Christian faith, we have a tendency to create levels of a Christian order. We have a tendency to create, I am better than he and he is better than her and her is better than him and this is better than they. Instead, we come with this true knowledge that we are one and an equal footing with Christ. So we enter knowing that not only we are welcome to this body, but others are too. Third, is that you and I have individual responsibility to create a place of honesty and integrity for others. Sometimes one of the things that causes the church to be at its worst is when people are honest. Oh man, that's when Christians just go wild. They're like, man, this whole time I did not know you were this wild. This whole time, I did not know you were this crazy. This whole time, I did not know you doubted. And then all of a sudden, it shuts all these doors for people to be honest and share. But rather, let us create an environment where people to express their own concerns and questions and doubts. And then point them to Christ and don't attempt to answer all the questions of life. For none of us have all the answers to all the questions of life. But that we carefully listen and analyze the needs of people. We pray and mourn and cry with others. We create an environment that others can come and feel absolutely welcome to be able to share their doubts and their concerns. Remember, my doubts and your doubts will never, will never remove our God from his throne. If somebody doubts my king and the resurrected Christ, they're not just going to undo it. I don't need to freak out. Despite of our doubts, our king is in his throne. Our Lord is a resurrected king. We're not the one that will make him doubt. He is already that. But if you are a doubter, a person that doubts, a person that says this whole entire Christian thing is a false narrative, you know what? Let me argue this. This is the best place for you to do it because you got nothing to lose. If you spend two or three years in the body of Christ honestly walking, if you prove yourself that Jesus is not real and he never rose from the dead, man, at least you get to prove it. You're not going to be able to prove it apart from it. The only way to prove it is in it. But in case your doubts can be answered, you may come to faith. What if he's actually real? You can't doubt the, resurrection, the resurrected Christ 
just from your own living room and from the books you read. You got to come in face to face and deal with it. If you are a very intellectual person that actually debates against the intellect of the church, for you to have intellectual integrity, you got to be able to be in it to find out whether it's false or not. You cannot have intellectual argument without intellectual approach to things. You got to be able to be in it, to debate it, to see it yourself. If you're a believer, you have the right to doubt, to question, and to push. And you're free to do that, and that does not disqualify you from who you are in Christ. If you're a doubter, there's no better place to doubt than being in the church. If you're an intellectual debater, there's no place you can to have intellectual integrity unless you are within the body of Christ. Today, I'm not sure where you at. I'm not trying here to guess it, but whoever you are, whatever you are, whatever questions you have, whatever doubts you have, rest assured, Christ died for you, and he rose from the dead for you. You are in the equal footing with all the apostles that passed, the saints that will come. You're equal to all the Christians around the world, to all the leaders of the church, and all the saints around the world. You are one of them, for Christ has bought you. And by the power of his blood, he will sustain you in the true faith. And his words are true. And if you are a doubter, remember, Jesus loves you. Despite of you rejecting him, he died for you. You have nothing to do with your doubt. Your sin is what's causing you to push back. So don't be ashamed of your doubt, for Christ will meet you in the place of doubt as well. If you're intellectual, praise God for your incredible intellect. But remember, the wisdom of man could be the foolishness in the sight of God. There's no wiser man than the other. Regardless of our wisdom and intellect, our king is the Lord of the universe. He is the God who made all the whole entire galaxy. He is the ruler of everything. For you must submit to him as you get to know who he is and his people. And us, as a body of Christ, let us create an environment as such. Let's start with ourselves. Let's bring up our doubts. Let us ask questions. Let us be honest about where we are in our faith. For God will liberate us from all our struggles and our questions. But not only that, we will create a space for others to do the same. The church of Christ is the only institution where all can walk in and be still the same. Nowhere on earth could be. Don't try it anywhere else. It does not work. People will come and eat you life to prove that they are higher than you. In the body of Christ, you have the freedom to know that you're one and equal footing with everybody, but also loved by Christ, despite of your doubts. May this true message of the gospel, our Lord Jesus Christ, preserve us in the true faith to life everlasting. Amen.